Good evening. I'm Angela Cocott filling in for Alex Pearson. You're listening to On Point. 100 Canadian scholars with an expertise in Central and Eastern Europe and Eurasia signing a letter to Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie addressing the causes and consequences of the Russian invasion in Ukraine and most importantly, what's at stake for Canada. Matthew Light, Associate Professor of Criminology and European, Russian and Eurasian Studies at the University of Toronto, joining us this evening. Professor Light, thanks so much for your time tonight. Good evening. Why did 100 scholars feel it was important to send this letter to Minister Jolie? Well, we wanted to share with the government and with the Canadian public um, our understanding of the issues that are at stake in this invasion. And um, although it's not necessarily our role in normal times to um, present our views like this, we thought that in this crisis, um, people might be interested to know what uh, those of us who um, spend our professional lives studying this region uh, think about these issues. Matthew, I also think at a time when we hear so much about misinformation, disinformation, it's great to be able to hear from well, scholars who have studied this, the history for many, many years. So I want to tackle a couple of the things that you've included in your statement when it comes to just educating and uh, setting the, the stage here for what has happened. Because the biggest question is, who is culpable in this invasion? And it seems pretty straightforward, but I want to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, you would think it is pretty straightforward that when country A invades country B, country A is, is, is to blame. Um, one of the reasons why we thought it was a good idea to write this letter was that um, we see a lot of sort of um, misinformation or inaccurate information uh, being spread about the conflict. And um, I could take this opportunity to point out a few points that we think are, are mistaken and dangerous. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, one is that, that there's something artificial about Ukraine or that Ukraine has some kind of problems as a, as a, as a country that others need to be involved in correcting. And that's absolutely not true. Um, Ukraine has a long, rich history of independence um, as well as involvement in uh, other other states that no longer exist in Europe. So it's not as though it's always been somehow part of Russia. Um, they both were republics of the Soviet Union, but they both became independent at the same time in 1991. And we think that people should understand that Russia has no particular claim to be involved in determining the affairs of, of, of the people of Ukraine. And moreover, it has to be said, I, I have a lot of um, interest in Russian culture and respect for the Russian people, but there's no denying that Ukraine has made a very successful transition to to democracy, um, it has some problems to be sure, but uh, Ukraine is a, is a flourishing electoral democracy where people um, speak their minds freely and get to choose their leaders. And, and Russia is a highly repressive dictatorship, which I think, by the way, is one reason why we're seeing um, such fierce resistance in Ukraine to the Russian invasion. People simply don't want to live under the rule of Vladimir Putin. The, the other point that I think um, is, is worth emphasizing is that um, some, some scholars, uh, not necessarily people who study the region to the same extent as, as theoreticians of international relations, have argued that, that in some way Russia was perhaps provoked um, by, by NATO or by Ukrainian governments seeking to join NATO. And um, for reasons that we lay out in the letter, we think that's completely erroneous. So, so um, Ukraine um, has had a checkered history with NATO. Um, at times it has been interested in joining, but at times it has not. And People should know that what Russia, um, what Russia seems to be trying to prevent in Ukraine is, is any kind of 
independent foreign policy that does not involve accepting uh, Russian control over basic elements of Ukrainian decision-making. And in particular, I think it's worth pointing out that the current war didn't just begin um, this year. It's been going on since 2014 when Russia invaded and annexed Crimea and essentially de facto through its proxies annexed parts or occupied parts of eastern Ukraine. And the reason why it shows that moment was not has nothing to do with NATO. It was that it was that Ukraine was trying to negotiate a, a, a free trade agreement with the European Union, and um, Russia really didn't want that. Russia wants to force uh, its neighbors to trade with it and other post-Soviet countries on on Russia's terms. And um, when when um, those negotiations negotiations were called off under Russian pressure, there were massive protests in Ukraine that resulted in a revolution, and that's when Russia decided it was going to try to take over parts of Ukraine and basically overthrow the government of Ukraine. And I'm so glad this just didn't happen. It's been going on since 2014. The rest of the world kind of forgets that. I think the rest of the world, though, recognizes the the consequences if Russia is victorious in this invasion. But what did you lay out to the minister when it came to the importance of making sure that that doesn't happen? What we laid out for the minister and what we also think other Canadians should be reflecting on is that at this moment, um, Ukraine is fighting alone to defend the principles of, of international law as well as democracy on the European continent, which is, which is a world region that Canada has many connections with. And it will be a disaster, not only for the people of Ukraine, of course, for them it will be a tragedy and an outrage if, if their democratic political system is destroyed by the Russian invasion. But people in Canada should be under no illusions that this somehow is, is not our problem. If, if Russia wins in Ukraine, Russia will have established dominance in Eastern Europe. It will be in a position to essentially intimidate our NATO partners in Europe. It could mean the end of NATO, which is the foundation of Canadian uh, foreign policy that we helped establish in the 1940s. Beyond that, you will also signal that in this world of ours, there are only a few major countries like Russia, United States, and China they really get to do what they want, and everybody else is subject to, to intimidation, bullying, and invasion if, if they step out of line. And you know, I think Canadians have a long history of, of advocating in the international arena for, for a world based on law and respect for the rights of all nations to choose their own destiny, and uh, that is really in jeopardy at this moment. Matthew, we have seen sanctions imposed. We have seen Western nations, NATO members send military support. But yet every day we know that Ukraine's leader Zelensky says it's not enough. What does Canada have to do then to um, avoid a successful invasion by Russia? What more should we be doing? Well, I think... We recognize that the government of Canada has, has undertaken many constructive moves in terms of um, supporting, supporting Ukraine through sanctions on Russia, uh, as well as through military assistance. Um, when we wrote this letter, we took a decision that we would not um, take a position on whether Canada or NATO should become involved in the conflict through, through, through um, for example, a no-fly zone as requested by Ukraine. We, we believe that's beyond our qualifications as, as scholars of the region to, to make a recommendation on. But we, we do believe, and we wrote this into our letter, that um, if Ukraine is, is in danger of, of being overthrown by, by Russia, and if, as, I'm, as I argued, um, we all rely in, in the Western world and the democratic world on Ukraine to stand its ground, then we have every obligation, both as a matter of morality and indeed in terms of our own self-interest, to supply Ukraine with the, the military assistance it needs, um, including 
things that it has uh, been asking for and not necessarily gotten, at least in the quantities it needs, such as, uh, you know, such as uh, anti-missile and aircraft. And we also hope that the government of Canada and its NATO partners will continue to tighten the sanctions on Russia and, and continue their policy of trying to exclude and isolate Russia as much in international forums. Um, with the goal of, of bringing to public awareness in Russia the extent to which um, the, the uh, foreign policy of their government is a catastrophe for, for them as well. I want to go back to uh, Ukraine's resolve. And a lot of people, experts have said this took Vladimir Putin by surprise. And we are hearing reports today, whether they be true or not, that Russian troops are, what, three days from running out of uh, supplies and food. Can you talk about the history more of whether the Russia feeling like it'll be no problem for us to steamroll over Ukraine? Just that whole relationship and how truly Ukraine has surprised Russia here. Yeah, that's that's a great question, and it's still it's still quite um, mysterious in many respects. Exactly what kind of decision-making process the Russian leadership went through, and what kinds of assumptions they're working with. But as you say, it's it's fair to say that things have not gone to plan um, for them. So I would just make a few points. Um, one is that um, in recent years, Russia has succeeded in a number of overseas adventures in which it's been involved. So it attacked Georgia in 2008, and as in Ukraine, it, it uh, essentially occupied or de facto re- removed from Georgian government control um, two regions of that country. It also has been involved in an extremely barbaric um, war on behalf of the Syrian government in, in that country's civil war, in which you know, horrible crimes against humanity were committed, um, including by the Russian military. And I think that it's clear that the Russian government underestimated both the capacities of the Ukrainian military to resist them. Um, and what it would mean to actually take on a sovereign, a sovereign nation that, that values its independence and, and understands what it means to live in a free country. So um, it's been really amazing and inspiring for all of us who are friends of Ukraine or just friends of democracy to watch the people of Ukraine uh, take to the streets and, and do everything in their power to resist Russian, Russian invasion. And we're hearing reports that um, Russian soldiers who have a history of not being treated very well by their own military, of being undersupplied, not provided with good food or equipment, not given good medical care, are feeling extremely demoralized and, and being shocked by the extent of sort of Ukrainian support for, for, for their own independence. It's not what they were told to expect. They were told they were going to a country born by Nazis, Reverend was enslaved. And what we're seeing now, in particular from, from POWs who have spoken about their experiences, is that um, they, they, were, they were shocked by the fact that they were not welcomed and that, that people in Ukraine have manifested their wish to, to be free. The letter has been sent to Minister Jolie. Have you heard back from her? Uh, no, of course, we'd love to hear from her. Um, I should say that uh, I had the pleasure of listening to her speak recently at the University of Toronto, and uh, I thought it was, in general, a strong a strong statement of support for, for Ukraine. So my colleagues and I will be looking for continued follow-through, um, but we recognize that this is a challenging moment for Canadian foreign policy and we're glad that, that she and Prime Minister Trudeau are clearly giving this this uh, devastating catastrophe the attention it requires. Well, as you said, not just for the minister, for Canadians to know as well. I'm glad you shared it with us this evening. Matthew, thanks so much for your time. It's been my pleasure. Matthew Light, Associate Professor of Criminology and European, Russian and Eurasian Studies from the University of Toronto. I'm Angela Kokot, sitting in for Alex Pearson. You're listening to On Point.